We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. I was about to say hello, Bumpy, so maybe I should change that and say hello, Sophie. What? No? Yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm all on board. A little okay, bit of a cool. shake-up. Change is as good as a holiday. Hello, Sophie and all the bumpies listening. Yeah, I like it. Love I like that. it. Cool. How are we this week? Look, I'm feeling well-rested. I feel like I should be asking you. You've had a way more exciting and eventful week than what I have had. But considering I last week just went a little bit on a downward spiral. I'm feeling well rested, much, much better. And yeah, feeling good, feeling good. If there's anyone listening who is feeling overwhelmed and overloaded, I think sometimes it can be so easy as a mum to be told rest, rest, rest. But what were ways that, you know, you could kind of rest and find time for yourself around having children because I feel like sometimes it's easier said than done when the list the list doesn't go anywhere the list is still sitting there waiting to be done what did you do to get back to I guess a a better place mentally yeah absolutely I think that you have to first really accept that you need to slow down or you Mm. need to stop I think that once you have accepted it then everything else becomes a lot easier because you're not fighting Mm. oh no I'm fine or no I don't need to do this it's like okay no you know what I am going to accept that I am feeling overwhelmed. I'm sort of not connecting all the dots. I'm missing words. I'm forgetting things and that's all right. But now I need to actually fill up my cup so I'm going to be okay. And for me, it's just going back to the non-negotiables again. And I know like we can't do this every day. We have sick kids. We have things that happen. But for me, it's uh, going out and having my, I change my coffee to my tea so it's not so intense and I sit out on the deck with Yumi and we watch the birds. That's one thing that I shift. So I'm not in the house and I'm not like, oh, I could just unstack the dishwasher. Oh, I may Mm. as well just make the lunches. Oh, I might just, you know, it, Mm. it, it always just gets too much. So I take myself out of what I usually do or what I have been doing. And then I, I prioritize myself everything. If you like for me, everything that I feel like is such an important thing for me to do. I mean, I know I'm not performing heart surgery every day, but you know, when only occasionally, (laughs) yeah, sometimes like today, I was trying to set up this freaking cord. We need a new setup. It is so tedious. But anyway, that's another thing. The, the things that I feel like are urgent 
aren't actually urgent. What's urgent is me feeling better because as soon as I feel better, everything else is okay. Mm. So I just say, I start saying no to pretty much everything and give myself a big reset. It is it's sleeping, having a nap during the day. And I mean, I don't know how burnt out you are or whatever, but I get really burnt out to the point that I can't function. So I get burnt out. So I have a nap. I read my book. I get off social media. I try and reset myself as much as I can. I go to yoga. I have a ice bath. If I don't have an ice bath, I will have a ice cold shower because it resets my nervous system and it's not one day it's it's a accumulation of days to make me feel you know well rested so I think that's another reminder it's like oh okay I need a day to reset it's not that it's actually if you think about it and you've got a cup and this is what my therapist says if you have a cup and you are overflowing that cup and one day you decide to, you know, rest, you've only lowered that a tiny bit. So you've lowered it to a level where you can, you know, just function. If you go back to doing what you're doing, it's just going to overflow again. So you need to start going back to the basics and getting into a sort of like a happy medium where you feel, you know, well-rested, but you also can function like a normal human. And when she sort of put that into perspective, it made a whole lot of sense to me. And I was like, okay, I really need to really slow down. And that's a negatively overflowing cup, everyone. That's not your normal (laughs) gratitude. My cup is overflowing cup. This is a different cup. (laughs) It's a different cup. Let's be clear. This is the opposite cup. But I think that's so true because I think as mothers, especially so often we can be burnt out. We're feeling overwhelmed and, you know, we cry out for help and someone comes and helps and that might be, oh, look, I'll take the kids to school or, oh, yeah, um, you know, your partner might say, go off and get a massage. And then we wonder why we're not just magically better or, you know, and and as you say, if you have a overwhelmed overflowing cup and you do something that takes you just to below Mm. the rim of the cup, well, it doesn't take much to put you right back Back where you started again. Yeah. So I feel like just having a few days, like I've, I've probably had five full days of resetting and just, you know, Uh, being present, being really present. I think that's the biggest one. Focusing on your children and engaging and playing, they are the best forms of switching off because if you watch how free and happy they are just floating around Mm. and doing things. Not a care in the world. Not a care in the world. You kind of feel refreshed going, oh, my gosh, look how happy you are. And you're like, what are you doing? Like you're just cruising. So, Mm. yeah, it's nice. But how are you? Because you've had a sensational past few days. Yeah, four or so days. So I've been away for three nights. My husband for my birthday back in September, he gave me the most Homer Simpson present (laughs) ever. And if you've watched The Simpsons, you'll know it's about when Homer Simpson bought Marge a bowling ball. And it basically means that you give someone a present because that's what you want. And so he organized a three-night trip on a catamaran. So we drove to Harvey Bay and then we kind of cruised along the coast of Fraser Island on this catamaran, which was like, it was pretty big. We had 
my whole family. So me, my husband, the three girls, and then my brother and his partner. And it was just the best thing. It was honestly probably one of the best trips I've ever been on in terms of, I was expecting it to find it super stressful because, you know, you're on a boat with three kids, you're yeah, surrounded well, that's by what water. You and look, there were moments that were stressful. Like it was hard pearls in that crawling age. And I guess if you've been on a boat like this before, you know, there's like lots of stairs down into the cabins. And so there was nowhere that we could really put Pearl because she's at that crawling age. She would have just tumbled downstairs. So I guess like it was a little bit exhausting, like holding her the whole time. Um, I ended up just feeding her heaps because I put her in a camp chair and just like (laughs) kept passing her food because I was like, that's the only place you're like strapped in. But it was just there's something about waking up and you're at the location of your holiday and then like going to sleep at the location of your holiday that meant the days went for so long. We had no internet connection. We actually ran out of water the second day. We don't know how it happened if it wasn't filled up properly or we were leaking it from somewhere because the guy who runs the the boats was like, oh, you shouldn't have run out of water already. So, like, I didn't even shower for four days. We were having oh, to you pour, had a whole ocean, babe. Yeah, we were having to pour water into the toilet to flush our turds down. It was just, <laughs> it was so, it was just really fun. And, like, it sounds so stupid because, you're on this bloody luxurious boat but it was also getting back to basics at the same time like you know you've got this tiny little kitchen so you're just you're cooking you know quite basic food and you're not showering and I don't know it was just it was really fun and as you say like you had no choice but just to be present with the kids and play with the kids and see what games they came up with to play on the boat and yeah I just it was just one of those weekends where you're really obsessed with your family and you're just like wow I'm so great grateful. This is so amazing. I feel so lucky. And yeah, it was amazing. And I've come home just feeling really energized and your ready cup to has been take, filled yeah, in a different my, way. My positive <laughs> cup has been filled. And yeah, so I'm stoked. But I had I read a funny, rude or fabulous that came in this week. Yes. And someone wrote in saying, rude or fabulous, my daughter has an imaginary friend and her name is Sophie Pierce. <laughs> Oh, my fucking God. And the thing I said, oh, God, I hope she's like a, a a nice imaginary friend, not one of those evil ones. And the part I found that was so funny, and I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, is that when I was a child, I was like imaginary friend obsessed. I had 12 imaginary kids. They were all girls except for one who was a boy and they all were named. Like I would remember all their names. They all had different personalities. The only boy, his name was Simba. They all had different dads and all their dads had died. Oh, look, if this was real life, I should have been investigated because that's not coincidental if you've had 12 husbands die. But it was just so (laughs) funny getting this message about this Sophie Pierce imaginary friend because I am sometimes like to my mom, like I was so, I would just chat, 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 chat all day to these imaginary friends. She'd find me in like corners of a room playing. I'm like, were you a bit freaked out? Like 
you know? And she's like, well, you did have actual friends as well. But anyway, I, I cannot wait to see if any of my kids end up having imaginary friends and what they're called. But I am beyond honoured to be a little girl's imaginary friend. Yeah, that is absolutely fabulous. Not rude. I think you having 12 dead husbands is rude. <laughs> but, um, yeah, fabulous to the little girl that has a Sophie Pierce imaginary friend. I asked mum if she knew how they'd all died and she said I didn't disclose that information. Of course you so. didn't. But also, how cool would it be if her mum eventually said, do you know you could have a real-life Sophie Pierce as a friend and then you can just pop out and go, here I am. Do you want to play? I'll do a, you know that app Cameo where you, like, send people birthday messages? I'll probably really freak her out because I probably don't look anything like what she's yeah. imagined her friend to look like. Anyway, what about you? Do you have a mum hack or a rude or fabulous for us? Okay, I've got a mum hack, but on the topic of mental health, I think that this is a overall hack for everyone that they can mm. do. And someone sent it to me the other day. Hot tip I learned from a film I watched recently. When someone is having a panic attack or anxiety or tantrum, ask them, what's that smell? Can you smell that? Sometimes, I can't say it every time, but it helps initiate a deep breath. So mum hack, dad hack, self hack, one hack size for all. And I've been doing this over the weekend a bit with Billy and I have been doing it with Yumi. And when they get into a bit of a tiz, I go, oh, 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 what is that? Can you smell that? And they go, what? And I go, no, 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 smell. And they're like, it no joke works. It oh. also distracts them from the meltdown that they're having and they're breathing in, mm. which is relaxing them. And it was absolutely genius. So to that woman, thank you. And to the movie you watched, thank you. <laughs> so to the director, the Academy, yeah. the actors, like I would like to thank you <laughs> for this tip. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was absolutely great and it's working. So let me know if it works for you. Now we're going to get into this episode today and it is quite timely because (laughs) Jade and I have had a lot of thoughts about school recently. We had Poppy's first kind of orientation of school last week, which was a very... I don't know, emotional moment for me. I just couldn't. We were driving along to this orientation. We were belting out songs from Sing. She was in the back of the car. I was in the front. I was just, I just started tearing up and I thought, how am I at the age where I'm belting out songs that both of us like together? You know, it's a real milestone Mm. when you reach that age where you're not just singing wiggles, like you're singing songs you both really love. And she's obsessed with Taylor Swift at the moment, which is awesome. And driving along to this orientation and I, I was just so, so emotional and she did really, really well. She was super nervous at the start, but by the time, you know, the session was over, she was like, the warriors in my tummy of God. And I'm like, oh my God, you're a freaking sweetheart. So this is really timely. This episode is all about school readiness. Before you say that though, can I just squeeze in here? Cause you went online when I was sharing this on social media this weekend, I went to the Taylor Swift concert in the cinema. Yeah. And can I just say, take Poppy, Yumi, I'll send you a video. 
there were all these little girls. They got out of their seats. They were front row, standing up, dancing, like singing and screaming. Yumi thought she was Taylor Swift. No, she said she's Taylor Sliff. And <laughs> she wanted all she wanted all the dresses and she felt fabulous. I was singing, parents were singing, and it actually felt like we were in a concert. And I think for little kids, because you don't want to take them necessarily to a big, overwhelming concert like that. Yeah, if we could get tickets anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no freaking chance with Taylor Swift. But if you can take them to that, it is amazing. The experience is amazing. They absolutely yeah. loved it. But now let's continue back into what this well, yeah, episode is. Well, yeah, I'm actually is. away for work a lot this week. So I feel like next weekend that's something I should do. I might take the girls to go see it just to, you know, have a little outing together. Yeah, but, good. yeah, this episode is all about school readiness. When I posted that Pops was starting school, heaps of people wrote back saying, how do you know if your little one is ready for school or not? Obviously, Jade and I talk about our personal experiences with whether we're sending our kids kids early or late, we are very well aware that this is very child dependent Mm -hmm. and not everyone has a choice based on when their child is born or for financial reasons, etc. So yeah, keep that in mind when you listen, but we hope you enjoy and we hope it's helpful in deciding when your little one's ready for school or if they are starting school, some tools to help get them really ready for that transition. Hello, Andrea, and thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be chatting about? Thank you so much for having me, ladies. So I am a mum of three, three girls. I had three under three, crazily. You're kidding. We've got three girls each. What so we're the mothers the of nine girls between <laughs> us. And I was just talking to one of the school mums this morning about my youngest starting to give me attitude and I'm like, you've been on the earth for six years and you're telling me how to say things and what to call things. And I'm like, I'm going to have three teenage girls at one stage. Yeah. I'm so scared. Yeah, yeah so we can scared. talk about that off air, I think. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's start with school readiness, shall we? <laughs> Actually, let's start with what you do yeah. and who you are. Continue. So, yeah, I had three children under three and that meant that while I was working as a lawyer at the time, I felt that there just wasn't the right kind of childcare that met my needs. My husband worked in IT and we wanted something that was convenient but also high quality. So we'd used uh, grandparents, nanny, long daycare, family daycare. And by the time I had my third, we saw how our nanny at the time who was studying education, studying teaching, was really engaging with the children in ways that some of our friends were saying their their nannies weren't. She was bringing educational activities into it. She was scaffolding their learning. She was taking them on a journey with their learning. And I used that as well as my mum's background of having had a preschool before she got married. She had her own preschool. That sort of influence to create the Lior model, which was where we sent early childhood educators into people's homes to deliver tailored early learning programs. Now, we are really excited to chat with you today because we have spoken very briefly in a hosting gig that we had and we interviewed you and you were so influential for us, actually, that you completely changed Jade's mind on when Yumi was going to start school. So I'll let Jade take that away before we launch in. No, I just wanted to say this is why I thought this was such an important episode to have on around this time of year because we went in thinking Yumi turns five next year in March before the cutoff in June. She's our third child. Tick, 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 right? She seems absolutely ready to roll. And 
a few things started chipping away throughout the end of this year and there was monumental meltdowns, there was emotional dysregulation and I was trying to understand what was going on and in this time we had this conversation with you about school readiness and there were a lot of points that really made me think about my decision and look obviously we're going to talk about pros and cons to ages and everything like that. For us personally we actually went into talking to the educators sitting down, understanding, doing the research. And we came to the decision that we are going to hold her back an extra year, purely for the fact that a lot of people said, or majority people said that you'll never regret it. So that was one plus. And the other thing that I have mentioned before, but I'll say it here is a lady said to me on Instagram that she was the youngest of three kids. And she said, I can't tell you how important it was for me to be a leader for the first time in a school rather than be someone that was always younger than everyone else. I'm already that in my home. I feel like I'm always chasing my family, chasing after my sisters. And I was able to be a leader and have that different aspect of my life. So there were a lot of combinations and reasons as to why we have decided to hold her back a year. But I guess to start this off, what are the different signs of school readiness? And before we launch in, obviously, I also want to say like, this is not to shame any parents that have sent their kids early because it's obviously such an individualized decision. And as you said, we'll get into, there's also can be cons for holding your child Mm. back as well. And I'm really excited because we're sending Poppy next year. She'll be turning six in Feb. So she'll be one of the oldest in the class. But for some reason, my husband and I, we have a breeding window. So we have one Feb (laughs) baby and two January babies. So I'm going to be, you know, I've, I've got the freedom, but I guess also the, uh, sometimes paralyzing decision of having the choice to make three times about when we send our kids. And so I am really interested because I do want to go in with an individualized approach for all three of them. So yeah, I'd love to know what are different signs of school readiness. Yeah. And I, I did adopt an individualized approach, especially to my second two, because they, are kind of on those cusps. But essentially what what we look for in the early childhood space, and, and I should add that after I started the business, I went on to study early childhood. So I've got a postgraduate qualification in early childhood education. But essentially we're looking for social and emotional skills, cognitive development, ability to make decisions, ability to follow instructions. And like you were talking about, Jade, those emotional dysregulation, the the way in which a child is communicating their needs and wants in a manner that's going to ensure they're getting the best out of their learning environment. So another way of explaining that is if a child is having a meltdown, they're on the floor, they're um, in a bit of a, a rage, but actually what they're trying to tell you is they're hungry or they're tired and they're not able to communicate that let's say even if you can't predict that they're going to be able to communicate that at the start of term two, then they're not going to be able to get the best out of that learning environment. They're not going to be able to follow instructions and be able to acquire all the skills that actually we need them to acquire in that first year of formal schooling. So those are the main things that we're looking at. But as you pointed out, talking to the other professionals in a child's life is a really key piece of that puzzle because um, there was a parent that I was talking to a couple of months ago and she'd gone for the school interview and and at the school they said, oh, um, 
can you understand what your son says? And yeah. and the mum was really offended by that and said, oh, no, 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 I can understand. But the educators were saying, oh, I mean, we can understand him, but maybe it's because we've all got used to the way that he talks. So he, what the primary school teacher was saying, or, you know, the principal was saying is by the time he comes to school, he may have difficulty communicating with his teachers and his peers, which inadvertently will result in some of those challenging emotional behaviours and then being unable to engage appropriately with the curriculum. So it's about sort of identifying where your child is at in that year before or two years before schooling and working out where are their strengths and weaknesses and what do you need to build on to be able to get them to the stage that they're going to have the best chance of success once they sit down in that classroom environment. Because I feel like often things like being able to write their name or hold a pair of scissors correctly are put you know, on this pedestal of being these really important signs to start school. But is it actually the emotional side of things that is the most important kind of boxes to tick? That's essentially your baseline. That's your foundation stuff. Because if you don't have that, it's hard to learn on top of it. Absolutely. Because how can you learn to how to write your name or hold a pair of scissors if you're getting frustrated every time and you yeah. can't explain your frustration. Yeah. So yes, the frustration is a natural part of development. They're going to get frustrated. They're going to get disappointed with the, the way in which they're acquiring skills. But the ability to communicate that, the ability to try again, the resilience that comes with all of that learning and the bounce backs and the knockbacks that they're going to get as they're learning and they're falling over and, you know, those kind of things. So that the baseline is that social and emotional. We then do look at things like fine and gross motor skills. So they're not insignificant, but they're not your first port of call because if your child doesn't have those abilities to sit still, follow instructions, pay Mm. attention for a period of time. And we're talking, you know, sometimes those lessons are going for an hour and a half to two hours that they're sometimes sitting at a table. So are they able to actually do that? Now, there's some, we'll probably get into this more, but some good ways that you can encourage that and test that. With my children having three girls, one of the ways I did it was I cut their hair. And I started doing that really early because it ensured that they sat still for a period of time and they got bored and they had to sit there in the one place so it was much harder as I started but by the time they got to school they got so used to sitting in this one place and just waiting for this task to be finished and And they're like if I move I'm going to end up with a terrible mullet again (laughs) and And it's going to be my fault yeah (laughs) and before we move on to like the gross and fine motor skills just onto the emotional regulation I think in my experience that we've just recently gone through I really was thrown with the whole why is she having more meltdowns because she probably should be having less being a four and a half year old rather than more than what she was having at three. So it really made us stop and think we need to focus on what she's trying to express to us and what she's, what is going on, why she has to grip my shirt when I'm walking down the hallway, why she has to do certain things, what's going on. And I think having these conversations in the family, including her sister's, going to the, she goes to like a preschool and a daycare. So pretty much the daycare probably sees her more than I do. I'm kidding, but not. And (laughs) and they will sit there and they actually spent one whole day observing her. And they did this method of analyzing what fills her cup and what Mm. doesn't fill her cup. And they did a whole observation and they said to me that she loves being 
in charge, so loves the attention, but then as soon as she is needing to listen or she's got to sit still, then she is absolutely like, I'm not happy with that. Anyway, there was a lot of things that we didn't know about our own daughter, but the daycare did. And when we put it all together, we sat there and thought, It's not going to harm her or us if we focus on getting her to the best place she can be in for the whole next year emotionally so she can go into school with the best chance that she can. And on the opposite end, before I knew all this, we actually thought she was really bored at school and she was sick of daycare and that she needed to go to school. And I'm sure with what we're going to talk about, there are kids like that that are just urging and ready to go to school. Yeah. So my second daughter was that kind of category, right? So she was at preschool. She's now the youngest in her class. She's in year two now in New South Wales. So that's the um, (laughs) second year after the introduction year of formal schooling and she was really bored at preschool and I have to you know put that together with the fact that she had our educators in the home for two days a week doing activities that were totally individualized keeping up with her pace and then when she went to preschool she was like what is this why doing yeah. these activities so then we only really noticed that she was a bit more advanced and she really needed that engagement and when we got to the end of preschool the director said to me and director knew that I worked in the space and she said to me oh I just don't know if she's ready because she loves talking to adults she doesn't talk a lot to her peer groups and I'm like that's her she actually wants these conversations you know she constantly wants to ask questions and you know three years into formal schooling we had soccer yesterday they're wiped out after school the other two are falling asleep she's asking me 50 million questions (laughs) about like the weather and the moon and the sun and I'm like can we just (laughs) can I stop being asked for information so that's just who she is right that's knowing your child and knowing where does their engagement fit like you're saying where where does their cup get filled but on the flip side of that there is that element of what you said around the communication. So we talk in in our team, our occupational therapists talk about what need is the child identifying in their communication. So a lot of parents talk about challenging behaviour or educators might talk about challenging behaviour, meltdowns, tantrums, these types of things. But what the therapists say is what is that unmet need? that is being identified. And sometimes it's a pattern of behavior, like you're saying. So there's this, you know, I'm going to give you this uh, reaction and you're going to give me a reaction in response. And we kind of get used to that learned behavior and the child learns that behavior. They're like, well, if I do this enough, you're going to give me that thing that you said no to. So again, part of what a child is needing is that consistency. They need to trust you, that you need to build that attachment. And sometimes that is showing them where the boundaries are. And part that's natural part of their development, really, all through toddlerhood until they get to school and even older. But they're testing your boundaries. Are you going to be oh, the yeah. safe person that meets my needs? But when you say, no, actually, I am going to meet your needs on this occasion because they were legitimate needs. But on this occasion, no, you couldn't have an ice cream because you didn't finish your dinner or whatever your rules might be. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So it's like they're looking for consistency from you. They're looking for those boundaries. They're looking for that approach that gives them that secure attachment. And you've probably talked to other experts about attachment, but essentially that is that secure attachment. That's that trust, building that bond with the child. So it's about balancing 
what is developmentally appropriate versus what where should my child be and do I need to get extra support? But I'm so confused because one minute she's melting on the floor and the next minute she's blackmailing me and she's like, mum, can you get me a chocolate milk? And I'm like, no, you don't need a chocolate milk. And she's like, if you don't get me a chocolate milk and get my bottle, then I'm not going to eat my dinner. And I'm like, whoa, girlfriend, you are just overstepping the boundary. So there's just so much going on. She's seeing her sisters. She's seeing all this stuff that's going on. And she's trying to work out. She's trying to over outdo me, I think. She's trying to get some control. She's trying to get control. And I'll tell you what, she she does get it. And (laughs) and I think that's what we're really trying to do. So a lot of parents often fall into the, you can't have this or you're not doing this. So one way to flip it is to turn it into a positive. So I will let you have an ice cream after you finish your dinner versus you are not having an ice cream because you know so it turns it into a positive there's also some other techniques around collaborating with the child so for example we all know what it's like when you say put your toys away and they don't put your toys away and I still try to convince my husband of this that if you just tell them to put their toys away they're probably not going to do it but if you actually go into the playroom with them and open the boxes and say, okay, let's pop these. So you're doing it as a team and yeah. it's less directive. You'll get yes. better outcomes and then you're building a pattern and then they're probably going to start doing it themselves because they'll see the benefits and they'll see the positive consequences of some of that behaviour. So there's a couple of things that she's trying to do. She's pushing your boundaries, but she's also yeah. trying to work out where do I get good outcomes versus where do I get negative yeah. outcomes. And what are the pros and cons of starting school early versus starting school late? So there's actually a lot of negatives to starting a child too early, more than there are to starting a child late. And there was some research that came out last year that talked about this and said, actually, most children do catch up. So it's not shocking consequences if you Mm. start them incorrectly, right? Um, So by high school, they've all pretty much caught up because the teachers have hopefully been on top of where they need to be from an academic perspective. The biggest challenge is if you start a child early, it's that emotional regulation because you're almost pushing the can down the road a bit. You're pushing the problem into an environment that they're already not familiar with. It's a very different environment to being at home, in a daycare setting, with a nanny, with grandparents, Mm. suddenly into this classroom environment where they don't have the communication skills. And again, it's going to hinder their learning. And I think one of the things I've seen happen, like to your point around the reading and the scissors and the numbers, and people are like, oh, but my child reads a whole book by themselves or my child counts, you know, to 100. They also don't go to the toilet by themselves. And when they don't get what they want, they're throwing beans all over the table. Yeah. Yeah, they're, like they're screaming when you have to finish an activity. So it's these types of things. So you've got to balance the fact that maybe they've done some rote learning. Maybe they've mm. memorized stuff. They might still not have the emotional and social skills to succeed at school. So if they're showing those academic skills really early, what you want to get on top of is those social and emotional skills. And that could be a little bit of therapy. That could be going to a supported play group. That could be getting just more engagement from the educators and saying, how can we target this social and emotional stuff? Because clearly academically, by the middle of the year, we know they're actually ready for school, Mm. but they're not ready over here. So it doesn't mean you might be delaying them. It's how can you give them the best chances of success in that period of time you have left. 
My girlfriend was told that because she was teaching her son to write his name and do all this and they were like, actually, you could probably slow down all that because if you continue teaching him, he might end up being bored as soon bored. as we get, like, we, that's our job to teach. And she was like, oh, so is that something to consider? Absolutely. A lot of teachers will say, don't worry about literacy and numeracy. Okay. Can they hold a pencil? Can they walk in a straight line? Can they throw a ball? Can they make Lego? Can they do Play-Doh? Can they jump up and down without falling over? Can they ride a bike? Now my kids still struggle to ride a bike, but you know. <laughs> so do like, I, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was thinking that the other day when I was talking yeah. to them about it. So when, when we talk about fine and gross motor skills, that has relevance to how they learn because if they can't hold a pencil, they're going to get frustrated and then they're going to not just be upset and emotionally dysregulated, but they're going to disengage with the learning because it's mm. just too hard and they can't suddenly pick up those skills in a very short space of time. So what you want them to be doing is building up those sort of preconditions to starting school. Mm. And that's why they say Lego, Play-Doh, you know, holding crayons and pencils, throwing a ball. So that the walking in a straight line and throwing a ball it, it comes from a, a term called crossing the midline, and that's the ability for a child to use the muscles on either side of their body in a symmetrical way and also in an asymmetrical way. So being able to cross over and do activities like passing balls and jumping and balancing and all that sort of stuff because they're going to be thrown into those activities once they start school. And so are the main pros of starting early, as you said, is it like your second daughter who it avoids that risk of boredom? Yeah, so it's... In that situation, it was about, and it was contrary to sort of your, that comment that you got on Instagram was I was one of those children. I'm the third child. Yeah. I started late. And I, my mum, when I was talking to her about where to start, to start her, she said, well, I started you late. What was your experience? And I was like, I was really bored. <laughs> yeah. I was really bored all the way through school. And I just knew that if she gets bored, like, not that she would, she's a very compliant child, but it was more that I just didn't want her to disengage with her love of learning and she loves mm. learning. So I wanted to encourage that love of learning in a child who clearly was ready for it. And she has such fantastic emotional regulation. Like she, mm. last year we were sitting down and she was crossing her hands and breathing. And I said, what's going on? She goes, my sisters are not, not hanging up the clothes the way that I asked them to. So I am sitting down and I am taking a breath. Okay. We all need to take a leaf <laughs> Can out she of her come book? to my house? Seriously. But it is it's so interesting that you said that though, because I think it is so interesting in all areas of parenting, how we project our own experience onto them. Because I, ha I have a close friend who started early and she, you can tell this still really gnaws away at her to this day <laughs> because she had to repeat a year and felt embarrassed that she had had to repeat. And whenever I've had these discussions with her around, you know, this is the, what we're thinking about for Poppy or X, Y, Z, she is quite adamant on there's only one way to do it and that's not the way mm. that was done to her. So it is interesting. Mm. I think it's so easy to go, I had this experience, so this is the way the experience 
is. And um, with my eldest Poppy, who's starting when she's almost six, it's really interesting because she has always loved learning as she's very compliant, like it sounds like your second daughter is, but she just had no stamina. Last year, she was doing three Mm. days of daycare. She was doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And by Thursday, she was honestly, like I imagined her going to school and I was like, she will be underneath the table in the fetal position. And another thing that really stood out to me is like, if we went out for breakfast or something, even if it was a cafe we'd been to heaps of times before, she knew the staff there, she would never be able to ask for something on her own. And it made me really worried because I was like, if she's in a playground and it's not her teacher, but she needs help, I'm really worried that she's not going to have that confidence confidence to ask for help. Are they other signs to look out for? Because even now that we've held her back, basically halfway through this year, she's really great at that now. She asks people she doesn't even know if, can I please have a straw? Can I please this X, Y, and Z? And she's, that stamina has gotten heaps better as well. So sorry to break it to you, but they probably will be exhausted. Yes, in that yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine used to fall asleep so, in the hallway. You know, yeah, yeah, that's right. So as soon as I chucked them in the car, every single one of them fell asleep in the car in that first term of school. So they will be exhausted. Yeah. It's a lot. And even with us, like when we've got children who we support in the home and we say to the parents, oh, what, what do they eat during the day? And say it's like a five-hour session. They're like, oh, don't worry. They won't eat. We'll, we'll feed them. And I'm like, no, they're going to be doing a lot mm. of learning. They're going to want to eat. So please just tell us what food there is so we can provide that for them. So children will be tired, even more tired because they're doing a lot more learning. So stamina, you know, it's, there's probably not a huge amount you're going to be able to yeah, do about no. that <laughs> other than try to avoid after-school activities for the, at least the first yeah. term. Don't chuck, you know, dancing and mm. gymnastics and all swimming and all that. If you can avoid it, I would hold off on a child too. Oh, that's great to know because she's already start, started saying, when I start school, can I start gymnastics? But maybe we'll term hold two. off for the first term. <laughs> yeah. Term two, yeah, or second half of the year, you know, like all weekends yeah. even, right? So try and avoid overloading their schedule because they you want them to have that attention span during class. You want them to eat not too early in the mornings as well. So a bit closer to the time that they're leaving, maybe like so that they've got the energy. At our last school, they had fruit break a bit later in the day. At this new school that we've moved to, it's first thing. So as soon as they pretty much sit down in the classroom, so they're giving them mm. more energy as soon as they start. And, you know, judging what you put in their lunchbox, go more than less in the first term as well to work Mm. out what they actually need to keep them going. So that second part of the description of Poppy sounds more personality-based. So what it's just your child, right? Not every child is going to go up and ask people for it. Like my eldest, even last year, was refusing to go up and ask someone for a fork. But that breaks my heart. Like what if they're just in the playground and they have needs? But that's the teacher as well. The teacher will identify. They'll encourage them to participate. But the teacher will also be very individualised. They won't want them yeah. to be somebody that they're not. They'll just want to make sure that they're engaging. And, yeah, it depends on the school. But if you get a really amazing bunch of kindergarten teachers, they're totally across that. They know that some of these children haven't been in these big environments and they're not used to these big groups. And 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 again, it's just the individual child. She might never be that person. She might never have a podcast that she records, right? Like no, that's exactly uh, I right. I showed, <laughs> yeah. I, sh- I showed um, Jade a video of her just before Sit. this filming herself in her phone talking, saying, hey, everyone, about her tooth she just lost. It was so brilliant. She might be able to do the podcast but not in front of a crowd yes, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Another 
thing that we I think we kind of fill our children's lives so much with is not allowing them time to be bored because that builds problem solving, mm. that builds resilience, that builds emotional regulation, not always giving them a solution, TV, devices, whatever. But like I found sometimes my children go, you know, when your children go quiet and you're like, what are they doing? But sometimes I've gone into the lounge room and they're all sitting there with calories and a game. But it's because I've like, ever since they were little, I've spent a lot of time making sure they had time to be bored and time to find something to engage with by themselves. Like they don't have their own devices, but you know, they're allowed to watch TV when they want to, but they generally will find activities that they can do either on their own or together. Now, you and Lior work a lot with children who have developmental delays or complex needs. So if we are the parent of someone with complex needs, should we be kind of looking for the same indicators of when they're ready for school or should we be, you know, setting the parameters a bit differently? So if you do already know that your child has a developmental delay, then absolutely go by the recommendations of the therapists or the paediatricians that you're working with. As you guys would have seen in that recent NDIS review, there's a lot of discussion around mainstream schooling and getting rid of segregated schooling. In some of the forums that I talked to, one of the biggest challenges with that policy shift is workforce and competency of workforce to be able to support those children. So depending on where your child is on the spectrum of delay, what you're really looking for is a team of educators and teachers who can actually meet their needs. So Mm. do they understand, do they have the skills set to be able to meet your child's needs wherever they are? So they're not necessarily going to meet all the tick boxes that we've kind of discussed around communication skills, emotional regulation. But if you are working with a group of specialists, then they are the best people to give you the advice on when that child might be ready. And as you were saying, I think before, what if you don't know that your child does have a developmental delay before going to school? Like, how do you work that out? And if you do take them to school, is it too late? Now, this is the biggest challenge that we have, actually, is talking to parents about when their child might have a delay. And our team of educators working in G8 centres also have this challenge, and generally across most early childhood services, because often parents don't want to hear that. It's it's mm. jarring, it's disappointing, there's a lot of grief associated with it. But I guess my advice to parents is that it might not be a forever thing. It might be something that you could get on top of. And you could resolve in a very short space of time. So the reason they call it early intervention in the early childhood space is because we get to it early, we intervene early, and we deliver outcomes early. So we get onto it. And I've seen that, like, I've got three children that are all thumbsuckers, and it wasn't really until I had a team of speech pathologists that I got them some speech therapy. And I could see my youngest sorted out the sounds like in no time, (laughs) even my eldest, I'm still nutting away at it. So starting earlier means you're going to resolve some of these issues quickly. So it's about not fearing it, but flipping the way you think about it and thinking about it in a way that sets your child up for success earlier and the earlier, the better. And what are some developmental delays that you can really be aware of? So speech and communication delays or difficulties are some of the most common ones. Where a child might have had speech and then lost some speech, that's a really important one to talk to a specialist about because that can be signs of other things like autism or other developmental delays. Fine and gross motor skills can be areas like muscle tone, muscle strength, 
there could be other, so there could be physical factors impacting that. So those are areas to, to talk to someone about. And again, this general inability to communicate, so inability to verbalise their needs in a way that we think is appropriate. So mm. without having those meltdowns. So if that's like you were saying, Jade, consistently happening and it's concerning you, then that's when you really need to be talking about it. And also if mm. it's like really sitting with you and you're going, is this right? Is my child at the stage they need to be? There's absolutely nothing wrong with talking to your GP about it. They would be your first port of call. To get in with a developmental paediatrician in Australia is anywhere between 12 months to three years, depending on where wow. you live. So if your GP tells you to go to see a developmental paediatrician, you, you have to sit on a really long wait list. And by the time you get to the top of that wait list... They're 18. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so finding is there an occupational therapist, a speech pathologist, and talking to your GP would be the best thing to do. If your child has experienced trauma and it's anxiety related to trauma or any other type of anxiety that you're concerned about, then a psychologist would be great. And if there is trauma, then a play-based psychologist to work through some of the trauma. And again, we're not talking years and years of therapy. We're talking if it's if it's a mild delay or it's a mild episode of anxiety, it can be resolved in a couple of mm. months. But would you need to see a developmental paediatrician before you could get extra help at school and those kind of things? No, you shouldn't. So every oh, child okay. is entitled to access to education. That's their human right. But they're also yeah. entitled to an education that meets their needs. So you have right. to advocate. And I mean, this is why I do a lot of advocacy to government on this, because I believe that every child has a right to be included and get access to quality education, but the systems don't always exist for those children. So you've got barriers like funding, the education and understanding of the parents and their ability to advocate, the fact that the parents might be in insecure work so they don't have time to take off to take them to therapy yeah. or to mm. doctor's appointments. And you've got all these different systems that families have to navigate. If you go to a preschool, you've got state funding. If your child goes to a daycare, you've got Commonwealth funding. Like it's it's a oh, nightmare. Yes. So yeah. once they get into the school system, the school is obligated to make sure that the child can engage with the curriculum. So if you do have concerns about your child not being where they need to be and aren't engaging and coming home with the knowledge that you expect, then absolutely set up a meeting with the teacher and take them through what you think should be in an adjusted learning plan or they've got different terms in different states or jurisdictions. So what plan do you want for your child to engage best? The school should put that together and then bring it back to you to consider and then you should track how your child's actually progressing. And we've spoken a fair bit today about, I guess, the choice of when your child starts. Mm. But for a lot of people, there is no choice, whether that be, you know, financially, they, you know, often school is cheaper than daycares or whatever. And some kids are born in that time of the year that they go that year and that's how it is. So, you know, we've got, say, three or so months until school starts. What should we be focusing on with our little ones? I think some of the things that we've talked about around that emotion, we start with social and emotional skills, engaging them in activities that give them that independent thinking, ask them to follow instructions, packing their own bag, getting them dressed by themselves, choosing their own clothes in the morning. You might need to leave more time in the morning to do some of these <laughs> things. You might need to be getting up a little bit earlier before brushing off to work, but it means that you're going to have to give that investment of time. 
because that is a really crucial time to not just show them that they have the skills to build up their confidence, but also to actually make it enjoyable because, you know, we all know that rush in the morning is not enjoyable. Yeah, I'm so excited for a school uniform because I feel like the (laughs) amount of time we spend in the morning working out which dress we're wearing and what goes with it and are we going to wear a headband with a unicorn horn on it. But I guess in some cases the uniform can be more problematic because I guess there's that less choice in terms of fabric and things like that. Mm. And sometimes parents only realise their child might have sensory aversion or sensory processing disorder because of lunchboxes and clothes. So sometimes Mm -hmm. when children start kindergarten or preschool and they have to have their lunches packed, whereas they've been at long daycare where the educators were taking care of them. Mm. That's when they start to realize, oh, you're coming home with this sandwich or there's this texture on this cheese stick or there's, you know, that's when you're really starting to notice that stuff. So that sensory processing is is becoming more common. We're seeing that a lot more with children, but it doesn't mean that we can't accommodate those needs. So like you said, going slower, adjusting the outfit. And my eldest daughter, we find as well, if, if she's clear on what she needs to have the night before, then that morning is much smoother. Mm. And any other things that we should be getting ready or practicing? So some of the other simple things you can do at home are those fine and gross motor skills as well. So in the bath, squeeze toys at the end of the bath that they're squeezing out to build that muscle strength. The scissors, I know people always talk about this scissors thing and they're like, what's the big deal about the scissors? It is because of the manipulation of the fingers. So being able Mm. to hold things that are not you know, your standard items, being able to cut food and being able to hold pencils. So it essentially leads to writing skills. And then, you know, there's different stages of writings with which, you know, teachers will take you through, but they need to be able to have that muscle strength in their fingers to be able to achieve those writing skills. So that's your fine motor skills. And then your gross motor skills are going to be things like kicking a ball, riding a bike, balancing, walking along balance beams, climbing, using the monkey bars at the park, climbing equipment, all that sort of stuff because it's building upper body strength and balance as well as lower body strength. Yoga is great. My children love yoga and it's really good for mindfulness. So that means that Mm, now mm. they've gone to school, they're really used to these brain breaks that they do in the classroom. They're mindfulness moments. Colouring. Colouring is really good for mindfulness as well as fine motor skills. And again, like I said, boredom and resilience. So being able to sit still and to engage in an activity. Now, it might mean that you have to engage in the activity and you know, some parents don't. <laughs> nah, no, I'm kidding. I'm having a brain break. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, you might need to be sitting down and, and engaging with that activity. Like on the weekend, I'm, we're renovating and I have to do some stuff in, in the backyard. And so I set the girls up with all of this craft activity. I let them watch a craft video and they they spent a lot longer there than I expected yeah. because I sort of partly engaged with them in yes. getting them interested in it, set everything up, gave them the paint, the glue, everything. And then at the end, they all went off to play and I was like, ah, you're coming back and cleaning it yeah. up. Yeah. And they actually, you know, it was a bit of nagging, but they eventually got there. But see, that was because they're a little bit older now, I didn't have to engage in the whole activity. But I love when you're tossing up when you can do the sneak away. You're like, ah, they engaged enough that I can just, and you're like, ankles, don't crack, don't let me down. (laughs) You're like trying to sneak away. (laughs) Yeah, so I think uh, engaging with those activities, being part of those 
bore, what we know is boring activities, but getting them a bit more excited about packing their bag because by the time it gets to the end of term four, believe me, nobody wants to pack their bag. Is it normal for some children around this time of year to regress before they actually start next year? I've heard that in my daycare, they mentioned that some kids start to get a little bit more like, I don't know if it's the anxiety or that, you know, it's the end of the year, but they sort of get a bit more lax and like, oh, when they're, you know, gearing up for the the big school year. And I just sort of think mentally when you, not that we're putting pressure on them, but I feel like with Yumi, we're like, oh, you got to be a big girl. You're going to go to big girl school. Once we stopped putting this conversation in front of her and we just let her do whatever she wanted in terms of, you know, like, sorry, I thought you were laughing. Oh, no, no, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking because we always say to Poppy, oh, next year when you're at school, I'm like, she has no idea what a yeah. year is. Yeah, no, no, and no. she has no idea when next year is no. going to come. And sometimes I can tell she thinks it's a really long way away. And then sometimes I can tell she thinks it's tomorrow. like tomorrow. Like she'd be like, yeah. oh, are we going to school now? I'm like, no, no, I wouldn't just spring that oh, on My you. children still don't have a concept of time. It drives me No, crazy. they don't. I, I woke up the other day and Yumi's put Christmas lights and decorations oh, out on the plant. Not far I'm off. like, mate, I know it's nearly Christmas, but that is way too far. Speak <laughs> to Woolworths. I know. Already, that's another yes. freaking episode. Another ritual that I did with all of my children was sort of in that last term before school. I actually took them out for coffee at one-on-one yeah. and they all remember that. Like they oh, oh, that time that we went out for brunch, just you and me or just you and me and daddy or, you know, so you met, you're creating that little bit of a, a departure ritual that before they're starting school and making it a special time. The other thing that the rituals do is it builds that trust. It builds that dynamic yeah. between where they know that they can rely on you to have that moment. And I think the other thing that's really useful when you're having those anxious moments with a child, so whether that's the meltdown or whatever, you're not going to get any messages through when a child is escalated, just like us as adults. When we're in a rage or yeah. we're emotionally dysregulated, don't tell someone to calm down, right? Don't tell me I'm over-exaggerating. It's <laughs> not going to end well. Exactly. So the same thing and even more heightened with children. There's no point saying that. So what we do need to do is close the loop on that when a child is emotionally regulated. So once they're you know, we talk about the the zones of emotional regulation, which they do have often in classrooms. They have them up on the wall and they'll talk the child through the zones of regulation. And when they're back into the green zone, calm, happy, that's the time to say. So remember that thing that happened the other day, how you sort of threw all your stuff on the floor. What was going on there? What were you feeling? Was there something that mummy could have done differently there? And you'll be so surprised what comes yeah. out of those conversations. And you just have them more frequently and they just become more normalised. And I found, especially with my eldest, she she can't always identify or name what was going on there. But sometimes I might say, hey, was that because you saw that person and they made you feel a little bit sad? And then she'll just give me this massive hug. And that is her communication. Mm. And then, is totally regulated again. She just needed that validation of knowing you know what I'm going through and you were able to meet my needs. And I think that's a really important thing to say because I found myself with all my children trying to find an answer for everything when they were in strife. And I know that I'm not always going to be there for everything that they're going to go through, especially in school. This is a big individual independent learning curve. But when they do have these, you know, overwhelming days or meltdowns, I've stopped asking so many questions because 
because as you said, there is too much going in that meltdown right now for them to even articulate what's going on. And as soon as I just, I don't even ask for a hug. I just open my arms up. They just, it's like they just calm down and I don't even speak for about, I think, three minutes and I actually haven't timed myself, but I'm assuming it's around three minutes. <laughs> and then I will say, what was going on? What are you actually upset about? And, you know, sometimes they tell me and sometimes they can't. And then if they're happy, we just leave it at that. And so that has a term, it's called co-regulation. So it's when you're supporting another person to regulate their emotions. So when a child is dysregulated, you need to figure out what works for them. So with my youngest daughter, she'll have the Full, you know, like it's hard to get her escalated, but when she's escalated, you've got to really kind of get down to her level and let her in on what's going on and understand what's going on. But with my second daughter, like sometimes I need to lie her down. I need to put my hand on her chest and get her to breathe into my hand. So you need to work out what works for each child. And sometimes it's a hug, um, but some people don't respond to hugs. So, yeah, co-regulating is really crucial when a child is escalated, as we are as adults. So our kids are starting school this week, let's say. Any tips for getting started for that first day, for that for those first few weeks? Getting them excited about the uniform, packing their bag, um, like Jade said, getting the uniform out the night before, laying it all out, making sure they're clear on the routine for the morning. Sometimes when we've got children who do have some of these developmental delays or challenges with following instructions, a routine chart is really good. So mm. laying out what needs to be packed, drink bottle, lunch box, sunscreen, hat, all these things step by step and then after school routine as well. And then they can tick a box. So you can put on a whiteboard and they can tick a box as to when each of those things have been done. Sometimes people use key rings. They might laminate the little tasks and attach it to the school bag, mm. which I'm probably going to have to do for my eldest daughter who's now lost three jumpers this year um, <laughs> to what she packs in her bag at the end of each day. So, yeah, those types of tips are really useful. And then, like I said, getting them really excited about it in the weeks leading up to school, that it's going to be fun because, again, if you've got a child who's suffering from separation anxiety, what's going to be fun about it, building those rituals. If you do have a child who has separation anxiety, one really good thing is like Jade did with taking them out after school for a little mm. debrief, a little baby chino. Let's talk about what happened or the end of the week. I did it once, but we'll do we'll do more. <laughs> one of the things we did with my eldest daughter when she had a bit of anxiety when she was still in preschool was we went to a couple of sessions of psychology to get to the bottom of what was going on. It turned out it was actually related to my parents separating and her bond with them. But the psychologist gave us some really good routines to put in place, which we still have in place to this day. And one of them is a family meeting. And it sounds really formal, but the children absolutely love it. And we don't do it every week, but we generally do it if there's some changes to the week. So we did it at the start of last week, which is the start of the school term. And we sat down and said, okay, this is what we've got on this week. Mummy's going to Sydney on these days. Daddy's going here. And then everybody gets a chat. Like it's like a little, little agenda. This is what's happening this week. Does anybody have any issues they want to raise? That's great. And then we go around the table and there's two questions that everyone has to answer. The first is, what am I grateful for from the last week and the second is what do I need help with what do I need support with and so what that's doing is building vulnerability in the group which hopefully means that when they're older and they need support that you're the comfortable person Mm. that they can talk to about that 
I love that. And do you know what I would say? I would say if everyone could help pick up their clothes off the floor <laughs> in the morning, in the afternoon, and you'd the bring night. that to the agenda that and you'd just be. have it rolling on into every meeting. Every week. But I love that because Nick and I actually Beautiful. sit down every Sunday evening and we go, okay, what is your work? What is your week yeah. look like? Who's doing this? But we should get the kids yeah. in because that's great. And they feel included. What age do they start? So every day that I pick them up, I say, what was one of <laughs> one thing that made you really happy today? What was one yeah. thing that you found challenging today? And every single day it's, I don't know, and I don't know. How long yeah. until I get an actual answer? Can I, can I tell you that? You, you don't. It, it might, you might not. How many times do you ask your husband and they tell you nothing? <laughs> and also on that note, I feel like, and I, I think you've, I don't know if you've mentioned it here or somewhere else, but I find that when your child, especially, I think this is important to say, when they get in the car after that, first, especially the first term of school, don't bombard them with questions yeah. of how was your day and everything like that. Because even still to this day, when my girls get in the car, they're hot, hungry, and tired. And the last thing they want to do is tell mum what happened. Mm-hmm. And usually nine times out of 10, they know they're in a safe place and they'll either burst out into some sort of emotion. Some will Mm. cry. Some will be really, really sensitive and snappy. And I just go, I put the aircon on, I throw snacks at them. And I understand that in the afternoon, we need downtime because they need to feel like that has been a freaking big day. And I think for kindies or prep, children especially this is huge in the first it's term. so funny because I actually hate if we've recorded at my house rather than your house and I haven't had the chance to just have a breather Regulate. in the car <laughs> on the way home if I walk your if, you know, if I walk yeah. down and see Nick and he goes oh who did you chat to today like what nah. did you learn I'm like I can't remember yet because I haven't had a chance totally. and so that's so true these kids are like five yeah. or six and I'm like what did you do today and actually I need a chance to go oh who did did I talk to him? So, so don't think that there's something wrong because they're crying and miserable as they come out yeah. the gate. They just, I think they're acting as you're their safe place. That's right. And I think the rituals are good because that opens up that time to talk. Yeah, I love that. So even if, because like, we don't have dinner together every night, like some families really yeah. like that. But that's a good time to talk. How was your day? Like it was so cute the other night. It, it, it was, it must have been um last week around the first couple of days of school and my second daughter said to my husband I want to tell you about my day and then he was busy doing something else and then he went to put them to bed and she was crying in bed and he went and she, and she said you told me I could sit down and tell you about my day so he had to pull her oh. up to bed put her on his lap and so she could tell him about her day. Oh, it was just so gorgeous that. that is beautiful this is not necessarily professional input, but I want to hear from both of you because you're school veterans now <laughs> and I'm about to start for the first time. What's the go with kids' birthday parties at school? Oh. So I know that when we first start, they're probably going to be a whole class birthday party. And my biggest fear is that Poppy is going to be at school five days a week and then we are going to have weekends that are just full of kids' birthday parties. Obviously, your biggest fear actually would be that they don't get invited to any birthday parties. But, like, what's the thing? Do we say you're allowed one birthday party per weekend? How can we make sure that we still actually see our children? You just lose the invitation. Yeah, yeah. The children don't always know about the invitations. That's one thing to bear in mind. Ah, but you're stuffed if, they, if you get sent yeah, the invitation sent you through your phone. by text message, right? So you're, you're navigating the dates. 
I am actually one of those parents who's not a full class inviter because I believe they need to build friendships with people they actually are engaging with. So for kindergarten, they asked them to choose who they were playing with. And we had a class list so I could I could vet, you know, whether any girls were being left out or whatever, you know, what who was being left out. But um, we've now moved to a new school. And so we haven't necessarily been invited to all the parties because for the older children, some of those parents don't know that we're even in the class, like that we're a new addition yeah, to the class. Yeah. So that's been a bit hard. So I've let them to go to every party. But in the past, I've been like, are you actually friends with this person? We've got this other thing we've got on, <laughs> like just engaging them in their decision making. We got one in the girls' little pigeonhole at preschool and I said, oh, bloody boss, having their party in two weeks. And they said, who's done it? I said, okay, that one's going in the back pocket and we are not putting that in the calendar. Yumi got one the other day and she got handed it and she said, oh, it's okay, I don't want it. And I was like, oh, (laughs) you can't go handing back invitations, girlfriend. Just take it and not in smile. We've been actively trying to participate so they can build these friendships and I can get know some of these parents yeah I need to work on that too but like I I just don't have the time I barely see anybody there's so much to do (laughs) running a business I'm I'm raising children I've got a farm there's snakes everywhere (laughs) anyone who goes to your kids school who's listening to this is like well I'm not going to approach that bitch she doesn't have time for me I don't I don't and I love everybody but I just don't um also on that note what I do love about the school is that they celebrate and they allow you to bring in cupcakes or maybe lamingtons or icy poles. So everyone in the class gets to celebrate it and you don't have to invite the whole class. You can celebrate it on the day. Also a good idea, one of my friends, her son's in his first year of school and what they do is the day of the birthday, they say, we're going to this park right near the school Mm. and just on their way home from school, Mm. the whole class is invited to go to the park and it means that, you know, you're kind of picking them up anyway, probably choose, you know, another half an hour or hour out of your afternoon but you're not spending the whole weekend at parties with kids that your children barely know. Mm. I know I come off really harsh and <laughs> like full on, but you know, I've got a 10 year old and not, like I've been through the ringer and I've just had to put up some bloody boundaries and they're my boundaries. <laughs> Stay in the car when you're picking them up when they're old enough and you don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> but last year I was like, no parties. So we just had family parties that drag on, you know. But also that's another discussion, isn't it? You've got three kids or you've got more than one. You're not going to get a birthday, every a party every single yeah. year. It's going to cost me a fortune. Everyone gets one. I don't know. I still haven't worked it out. But, like, <laughs> we're going to have to work it out because I just can't keep having parties. We just last year and now we're doing it this For year. everybody? Yeah, for everybody. Oh, yeah, see, I reckon a whole year's worth of no parties is great. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> I sound like I'm the Grinch. Grinch. <laughs> yeah, no, just save a bit of money, you know. Okay, well, on no, that don't, note, don't leave on Grinchy McGrew Grinch resting bitch face over here is going to... I'm nice, I Did promise. you enjoy that chat with Andrea or yeah. was it shit? <laughs> I really did enjoy this chat. I did. It was beautiful, wonderful, educational, and I'd like to have another one with you about something else. And I actually have a few questions for you after this episode. I think, look, in summary, I think you have to know your child, right? Like you need to know your individual child. It's not a textbook. You don't get a guide here that tells you developmentally appropriate timelines for everything. Some children will be academically gifted really early but may not be able to communicate effectively. Yeah. Some children might be able to communicate amazingly but might not be able to hold a pencil. So, again, balancing what's important 
important and coming back to those foundations of social and emotional regulation, ability to communicate, ability to follow instructions and sit still, engage in the learning. What are you going to give your child that sets them up in the best way for them to get the most out of that first year of formal schooling? Because essentially you want them to have a love of learning. You don't want them to hate that first year of schooling. You don't want them to go into that moment with anxiety and feeling like they were not succeeding because we all know that if we don't feel like we're doing something, well, we're not going to keep trying at it. And there are going to be challenges. There are going to be lots of things that they learn in that first year that are really hard and they've only done for the first time. So making sure that they're supported in that best way to make it a successful year will mean that they're going to engage for many, many years to come. And also, I'd just like to say to the parents that are attending my kids' school that I am. There you go. I Do really, you want to shovel to no, dig yourself to say, out of this one? <laughs> I just want to say that. I actually really do like having conversations with people and saying hi. Like, I do love it. I absolutely yeah, love it. Never gonna I just don't again. like kids' parties. I don't like them. I don't even like my own kids' parties. I like my kids, but it gives me anxiety. All of it gives me anxiety. It's an anxiety-related issue. Meet your own needs. See? See? She does. Don't worry. Thank you so much for joining us today, Andrea. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.